Father, this evening, once again, we come to you. I pray, Father, as we, as your body here, go through this season, that you would continue to search us and show us that there be a churning within, that everything that has been hidden in the flesh will be brought out, exposed to the light, and put away and destroyed by the power of your Spirit, cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus, that we can start with the newness that comes from Christ and Christ alone. Speak to us. Speak to us, Lord, this evening too. Speak to us. Show us. Teach us. Teach us. Because the entrance of your word brings light. Let there be more light even tonight in our lives. The ministry of your word. Spirit of God, bring revelation. Give us understanding. Minister to us even as we wait, Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. We'll continue, spiritually speaking, from where we stopped on Sunday. So we saw that one primary request in the Lord's prayer was connected with overcoming sin. And the Lord's focus was that one thing, while our focus is give us this day our daily bread, while he was focusing on sin. We go back to Matthew chapter 6, and now we look at verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. So deliverance, in that prayer, one thing is sought. Deliverance is sought. Okay. Deliver us from the evil one. There is an evil one. And the Lord said in our prayer, this is the way we should pray that we are delivered from the power of the wicked one. Reason? Why? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. There is only one person who can deliver us from the power of the evil one. That is Christ and Christ alone because his is the kingdom and the power. If you look at the same usage, evil one, in Matthew 5 and verse 37, scripture will say, let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than this is from the evil one. Okay, because God is saying, learn to honor your word because God keeps his word. You know, God keeps his word. When it comes to his word, scripture says he has exalted his word above his name. That's why God says he would not even a dot will pass away from his word. He says, we are people who are birthed by his word. Scripture will say we are born again by the word of truth. So that should be there. Anything more than that. If we do not keep our word, God says, you know, we do not. It, it, this has many implications, but that's not the message on. But anything more than that, God says, comes from the evil one. The evil one will always try to see that we break the word. John 17, verse 15, Jesus in his high priestly prayer will say, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. We are in the world, and the world is under the sway of the evil one. But he says, Father, my prayer is not that they should be taken out of the world, then we will not fulfill our purpose, but we should 
be kept from the power of the evil one. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, The Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. These are the usages in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, where the word evil one or the wicked one is used. So God teaches us to pray, deliver me from the evil one. The evil one or Satan and his demonic hosts. Okay, we don't know the number, could be probably in billions, not millions. Okay, because sometimes we forget the facts that are shown by scripture, actual facts. Don't forget facts. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 30, a fact is revealed, sorry, Luke chapter 8 and verse 30, 3-0, Luke 8-30, we will see, Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? Okay, now he's asking the demon-possessed man at Gadarenes, but who is speaking is the demon, okay, the head. He says, legion, because many demons had entered him. Okay, this one man. And a legion can be up to 6,000. Okay, a Roman legion could be anywhere between 5,200 to 6,000 soldiers. So, the devil doesn't have any issues about manpower or demon power in terms of numbers. He has 6,000 demons to spare for one man. Okay, so get facts from the Bible. Get the facts from the Bible. Therefore, we will understand what Jesus is talking about. Deliver us from the evil one. The influence of demonic influence connected with Babylon. One man, 6,000 demons or less or more. Okay, one of the most successful acts of the devil is to hide his presence and how he works. Because the modern educated man does not believe in the devil. Though the devil believes in him. Okay? And he covers how he works. Okay, You see, in the ancient world, nobody doubted the powers of darkness. Nobody doubted. Everybody believed in these powers. They did not call them as dark powers, but everybody believed in it. They all knew. There were no atheists in the ancient world. That's a modern invention by the demon of atheism. Okay, that's the demons assigned to that too. These are, these are real things. There are demons assigned to that. Because it doesn't matter the way you think you'll have a demon who will correlate with that. Which will make you think that way unless you think according to this, which is to which the Holy Spirit is guiding us. The amount of influence or power the, the evil one has is shown by Jesus, by his apostle in 1 John chapter 5 verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world, the entire world system lies under the sway of the wicked one or the evil one. The whole world, everything in this world is under the power, under the influence of the wicked one. And whenever salvation is mentioned, it is mentioned in these terms. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, just laying the groundwork so that we understand under what powers we operate and how we need deliverance every day. That you made, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is the outward effect of sorcery, of witchcraft, of demonic power, influence. We end up with trespasses and sins against God. In which you once walked. 
We walked in this trespass and sins according to the course of this world because the world is under the sway of the evil one. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That is why scripture says Jesus is able to save all those who obey him. Because every time we tend to disobey something we know is clear from God, there is a spirit that works. It's that same spirit whom among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, not just the Flesh of, lust of the flesh, but also the lust of the mind. How many of you have noticed that when you are going through the season of 10th day of all those who are fasting and when you are trying to read your Bible, you are struggling, but you are able to read the newspaper without any problem. Now you wouldn't consider that as a lust of the flesh, but it's the lust of the mind. Because you are trying to focus your mind on the word of God, the devil comes and starts touching the lust of your mind, puts you into a storybook or a novel or a newspaper. And you don't realize that you've been trapped because you have always considered sin as the lust of the flesh without realizing the mind also operates. And God says, that's the way people walked. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Because you walked in sins and trespasses and therefore we were children of wrath. It is from this God saved us and is saving us. We have seen also, like in the past two Sundays, how the devil works openly those through those who are willing to align with him. If you are willing to align with him openly, he will work with you openly. So you have witchcraft, doctors and wizards and all kinds of people who openly work with him. They know where they get their power. They're willing to have a deal with him and he gives them that power. Okay, and you will see even in Israel's history, this is true. Just two examples. Example, Second Kings chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. The son of one of the most godly son kings of Israel, Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And we will be thinking, Lord, why did you cut him down to 5 years? God allows wickedness. He allows 55 years. His mother's name was Hepzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. The, all the other nations whom God cast out of Canaan, they were deeply into witchcraft and the powers of darkness. And he went that way. How did he go? He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. You will always see, okay, now, now, we're not condemning. We are not condemning people, but you need to realize this is how demonic powers operate. Demonic powers, Satan's main desire and because of which he was cast out. I want to exalt my throne above the throne of God. So you need to realize high places are connected with that. And if you go to any country, any other religion, you will see they always go for the high place. You see one small hillock in this in, in India, you will see there is a flag there. They go for the high places. 
Okay. They want the high places because he wants to show to God in the hearts of the people whom you love, I have lifted myself above you. High places. Okay, that's what he did now in Israel. Raised up altars for Baal, made a wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done. He worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. This host of heaven are the fallen angels, the demons. Okay? Now this is Manasseh. He also built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem I will put my name. He put demonic altars over there. And then he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He also made his son fast through the fire. He sacrificed his son. Because the demons need that. They want that. Practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So this is Israel. Okay. If you're willing to openly align with him, the devil will align with you. And the whole world is under his way and the devil gave him 55 years and God just looked the other way and says, okay, if that's the way you want to go, go that way. Okay. Understand the devil has incredible power. But all power and authority is with Jesus Christ. But that power which Jesus has is released into a life only through that pathway of righteousness. That's why Jesus said that way is difficult. And our flesh hates it. And the devil is willing to cater to our flesh. He says, I will give you the power easily. You don't have to do all that way which Jesus is talking about. Okay, so understand how it works. It really works. When the king of Moab, you know in Israel's history, when king of Moab was facing total defeat, three kings were coming after him. That is the king of Judah, the king of Edom, and the king of Israel had come together and they were attacking Moab. And it was prophesied by God's prophet Elisha, yes, you three kings go, you will win. You will destroy Moab. Moab was facing annihilation. You know what the king of Moab did? Second Kings chapter 3, 26 and 27. When the king of Moab saw the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son who would not have, who would have reigned in his place and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was a great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. He said, now, I have only one chance left. I need more power from the spiritual realm. So what did he do? He offered his firstborn son, the next one who should reign after him. And power was released and he could save his life from the wrath of these three kings. That is what has been happening for 6,000 years. So don't get fascinated by Bahubali and all. It is occult. It is real and it is occult. That is how all kingdoms have fought each other for centuries in every continent using one power after other. So it was part of it that one nation, one over another nation, they also took their gods and kept them with their gods saying that now we are adding to our power. That is why when Israel comes in, God tells Israel, know that the Lord thy God is one won't worship other gods. So understand spiritual warfare is real and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. If people align with him openly, he works with them openly. If you do not and you try to be an atheist or religious, he gets into your life through deception. Therefore understand how it works because God says my people perish because of lack of 
knowledge. We need to know how these powers work so that we are aware that we don't miss out on God's purpose in our lives. So, that's why we are called to walk by faith. We are called to walk by faith. You see, uh, I could use ancient example, but most of you will miss it. Like, uh, let me use a modern, modern also, some of you don't read, so modern also is difficult, but I'll use the modern one. Have you seen minefields, at least on, no, not seen in the sense on news or anything. You see, the, the wherever wars take place for years and years together, the enemy comes and puts a minefield, mines are planted all over that field, so that if you buy a mistake, step on it, you're blown into pieces. So when there is a kind of peace that comes in, those who clear the mines are coming and they have to go carefully and they make a way through the minefield, they point flags, they pin flags over there, if you have noticed, they pin flags. So anybody who is crossing from point A to point B with a minefield which is in between has to be very careful to walk through those tracks on that minefield. Okay? You need to realize this world is like that. It's a minefield of the devil. God has called his people to walk by faith. That you you escape sorcery, you escape seduction of the enemy, you escape the enemy. That's why he says, pray this prayer every day. Lead, deliver me from the power of the evil one. The only way, there's no other way. There is no other way. That is why Jesus said, not even a word from this will go. You cannot and I cannot pick and choose. The minute I pick, I am not going to do this. I don't agree with it. I have fallen into a minefield. I have fallen into a minefield. Okay. That's why we have to be careful. There is, there is, uh, you, you cannot have peace in this, in this war. There is no peace in this war. It's a battle, battle till the end. I'm not saying you, you lose your salvation. I'm not saying that, but you end up nowhere in the spiritual, in the kingdom of God. You do not make further or much progress. So, understand, in the enemy eyes, Christians are the most vulnerable because we are called to walk by faith and faith alone. And faith has two sides. We have looked at it. One is we need to trust God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength. And we need to obey whatever he has said, whether we like it, whether we agree with or not. Those are irrelevant things of the flesh. But we obey. And there is no room for error. And when we make error, repent and get back onto the track fast because there are minefields. So we will look at one of the tactics of the enemy. Okay. See, if you, if you drive down, I mean, last time when we went to, we went to Jamshid, um, to Jharkhand and we were driving down, some of the places on the highway, they will say diversion. Okay. And sometimes the diversion is many kilometers long and very bad road, narrow bridges, and you have to wait like when the entire trip on a normal highway should take like two hours. That diversion which may be 10 kilometers take one and a half hours. So your trip is extended by double the time because of the diversion. Okay, understand. Diversion, if you know in terms of the vehicle, takes steals time, does incredible damage to the vehicle, your cost escalates, so many things. A diversion is turning aside from the course that is to be 
followed. Okay? Of course. Now this is a diversion on our roads for a better purpose. They say, take this diversion while we fix this road. The devil's is something else. God has fixed the road. Jesus said, I am the way. Stay on the road. The devil tries to get us to divert from that road. Okay, in the process, in our spiritual life, we will lose time. We will go through unnecessary hardships and we'll pay a heavy price until we get back. Like I said, last Sunday or the previous Sunday, I said we are a tripart being. We are a body, which is very visible. Then we have a soul and we have a spirit. The defining person or the, the controlling person is the one in the middle who is called the soul. Okay, the soul has the will, it has the intellect, and it has the emotions. Most people are one of these two. They are either emotional, or they are intellectual, or a combination of both. Okay, depending upon which you are, you will react. You use your will to react either emotionally, or you use your will to react intellectually. So here is the soul. Okay. My intellect and my emotions and my will needs to fall in line in obeying God. My intellect may struggle, my emotions may struggle, but my will and your will must always align with the will of God. And you will see this even with Jesus himself. That's what you see in Gethsemane. In Mark chapter 14, and verses 34 and 36. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Now this is his emotions in his soul. Okay, His emotions have reached the peak in his 33 years or whatever years of life. He says he's exceedingly sorrowful. His emotions are pumping up. He l- went a little further, fell on the ground and Prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Okay, Emotions, everything all come together. He's travailing in his soul, in his spirit, emotional high. And then he says in verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Now that's his intellect telling him, actually, you know what? Dad, I now understand one thing. All things are possible for you. So my, my mind is telling me, soul is telling me, even now you can give me an escape route out of this. I don't have to go through this. So his struggle is in his emotions of his soul, in his, emo, in his intellect, and then he ultimately uses his will to align his will with the will of God. He says, but not my will, but your will. Ultimately, it is the will that will make the decision. Okay, Your emotions may push you in one direction. Your intellect also may come with all the argument and come in the same direction. But deep inside your spirit, you know what the word of God is and what the word of God is telling. And use your will to obey the will of the Father. Okay, This is how it works. This is how it works. Even for him. That's how he worked and that is how it is. But the temptations of the devil or the pressure he brings to circumstances always to take a diversion. So the Lord himself went through this. So will every child of God, every saint in the old and the new. Everybody will go through this. 
the real issue. I was less coming here. I was asking, meditating about this. But this question has always confused me, like when Paul's, I mean, it is scripture. Paul is not a hypocrite. He tells the truth. And then he says, I am the chief of sinners. Right? It's a very, very puzzling statement from him because we know he's, he's not, uh, he's not false humility. He's a genuine humble man. Okay? And we also know he's not the chief of sinners. In the way we look. Can you consider Paul towards the end of his life actually being chief of sinners? No, we don't. We practically saw that man probably never sinned or maybe one sinner day. So why did he call himself chief of sinners? Let me ask you this question. Um, I mean, small babies are in there. Let us say there is a four-year-old child here and she was asked, uh, right, or a five-year or six-year-old child. Abigail is here. Yeah, Abigail is there. Abigail is there. Abigail is given a question paper. Five questions. One plus one. Uh, one plus two. One plus three. One plus four. One plus five. Okay, that's it. Abigail gets three right, two wrong. So she's got two out of five. The same question is given to her father. Okay. He gets four out of five. Four out of five. He got one plus one wrong. What will you think about Pastor Vijay? Pastor Vijay, are you, are you mad? Are you mad? You got a PhD in robotics. You are supposed to be a brain in mathematics. You don't know one plus one. Paul is saying, according to the exceeding revelations that has given to me. When I fall once, I'm chief of sinners. Chief of sinners. He says, I'm not judged the same way others are judged. That's why he says, I consider myself chief because I have seen him face to face. I've heard things that could not be uttered. I had incredible knowledge. The scripture was written through me. I cannot fail like others. Understand how scripture how it works. So when you study scripture, when you are going through this season, ask God the questions you have always struggled with because fasting helps in getting answers. You see things which you did not see before. So the Lord himself went through this. The saints also went through this. The real question, the real issue here is when one person is diverted from God-ordained course, it can cause Terrible suffering for himself and for others. Or sometimes more for others and less for him. If Jesus had been diverted from the course here, he's being trying to be diverted from the course ordained by the Father. Can you imagine the harm that would have come upon humanity? Our life is like a journey. The Bible talks about our life in terms of a journey. It has a beginning. It has a course. And it has an end. And scripture says, this journey, our journey begins only when we are born again. Not when we are born, but when we are born again. And the Bible talks about how we conduct this journey. In Hebrews 12 and verse 2, scripture says, looking unto Jesus. Why? Because he is the author of this journey. This journey in my life and in your life was authored by him, started by him. And he is also the finisher of our faith. So there is a beginning, there is an end, in between there is this course of faith. Scripture says, keep your eyes fixed on him. And therefore there is only one way. It is the way of faith. 
And we have many examples, but only one perfect model, that is Jesus Christ. So says, remember you have a cloud of witnesses, be encouraged by them, but keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus and learn through what he went through, his prayers, his struggles, because beware of satanic diversions. Because it can do us personal harm and it can cause sometimes others connected with us consciously or unconsciously, incredible harm. Let's look at one example in the Bible. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Very, very well-known example. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Jonah arose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. Every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. We have looked all this in detail, but that's not connected today. One person had deviated or diverted from the will of God. It's very clear. The will of God is very clear. You are supposed to go to this place and preach this message and you diverted from the course. Reason? One is emotions. He hates Ninevites. He doesn't want to preach to the Ninevites. So that's why we have to keep our hearts clear of hatred because God may send you sometimes to people whom you dislike earlier in your flesh. And he says, to them I am sent as a witness. Here was the Pharisee of Pharisees, Saul the Apostle. Once he becomes an Apostle in his life, he sent to the Gentiles to go preach to the Gentiles. All his life he was a kosher eating Jew, separated himself from the Gentiles. Now he sent right to the Gentiles. So we have to keep our hearts very clear. His emotions are fighting against him. I hate Ninevites. Second, his intellect is supporting his emotions. How does it? Jonah 4 and verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was it not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarsus, for I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. God told him, their wickedness has come. It's a great city. Their wickedness has come. You go and give them a warning. Okay, his emotion says, I don't want to go to them. I can't stand them. I hate them. But I also know, if you tell me very, if you have told me very clearly, I'm giving you a word and it's a word of judgment and they're going to be judged, but I know you. I know you. I know you. You're a God who loves mercy. Not judgment. I know you are a gracious and merciful God's load to anger, abundant in loving kindness, who relents from Eve, somebody. Because he says, I know all the stories. I know about how my great-grandfather Abraham continued with you 40. He said, no, 30, no problem, 20, no problem, 10. I know if there are 10 righteous ones in Nineveh, you won't. I know you. So his emotions and his intellect comes together and he takes a diversion. Okay. And scripture says he used his money to pay for the diversion. All of us have done this. Used God-given resources to spend on diverting from 
the will of God, the known will of God. It may not be to go and preach to a people, but we are very clear. By now we know very clear what is the will of God. But we want to take a diversion and we pay it. Forgetting the money was God's, not ours. And we used that money to pay for a diversion. Scripture also tells it very clearly. It put the life of everyone in the ship at stake. One man's diversion has put an end. If he had not been in the ship, the ship would have been sailing nicely. But because he is there, everybody's life is at stake. Everybody's put in great harm. Not only that, verse 5 says, of Jonah 1, 5 says, they had to, yeah, not 4, 5, 1, 5, sorry, 1, 5. They had to throw all the cargo in the ship. Cargo in the ship. That was to lighten the Lord. Simple examples we have known. One man in the house, he's got his family, he's got his children, everything. He takes a diversion and becomes an alcoholic. The wife is selling her family jewels and gold and everything to take care of the family. Does it happen? Does it happen? One little diversion. Gone. You're gone. Okay. And that's exactly what's happening. God has an ordained a course. And the devil creates the diversions on the way. And before it can be, please don't uh, only blame the man who is an alcoholic. There are wonderful women who don't drink, smoke or even watch TV, but God hoards and hoards and hoards of clothes. Which can feed five families every month. And God looks at it the same way. He doesn't look at it differently. He looks at it the same way. He doesn't look at these things differently. We categorize sin, but sin is sin. The indulgence of the flesh is flesh. It's the lust of the flesh. We decide this lust of the flesh is bad, but this is holy because I am doing it. No, it is not. Okay, so, when they see there is an opening, when the devil sees there is an opening, they move in. The demons move in. So we saw on Sunday the dangers of walking in darkness. Spiritual darkness will lead to diversion. Be careful. We will not even know that we are being diverted from our main course. And diversions can lead. Darkness can lead to diversions. And diversions can lead to darkness. That's why I tell believers who are really good believers, faithful believers should be careful about good things. Not bad things. The thing to be noted here is success is not proof that you have gone off course. Look at Jonah 1.3. Jonah arose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. At that point, there is a ship going to Tarsus. You are successful. Yes, successful. Relate this to your own situation, whatever it is. He's decided, I'm going to Tarsus. And he goes to the port. At that time, there is one ship going to Tarsus. And you suddenly start this thing. Okay, my, my, my decision was right. Otherwise, why should there be a ship going to Tarsus now? I'm heard weird arguments of people when they have disobeyed God. Well, if God really didn't want me to do that, then he should have stopped it. 
doesn't work like that. I'm not giving you vivid illustrations, okay? Doesn't work like that. So success. He decided to go to Tarsus and when he goes to Joppa, what is there? Ship is waiting. And he has the fare. And the ship has a seat. The captain doesn't say, sorry, we are full. You came in the last minute. We have no space. It has space. And you start believing you're on the right track. The fact of the matter is in many lives, the storms don't come so fast. It comes much later. In Jonah's case, it came very fast. So we are very aware. But what happens if it comes after 10 years? When you have been in this journey for a long while. I take the well-known example of David. Here, well-known here, okay? First Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Emotions. Under pressure. Now this is not temptation. This is in the sense of trial, testing. Incredible pressure of running, 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 running. Emotions. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of Philistines. What is that? Intellect. Why? Because Saul will despair of me and he won't seek. So his intellect says, you know what? Saul is searching all over Israel, but he won't search in the Philistine land because he's at war with them. So the best place for me to go and hide is, hide is? Philistine territory. What do Christians do? They hide in church. They don't hide in the world. They hide in churches. They hide in churches. Churches where you are not challenged. I mean, I'm not saying churches where you are put in the frying pan every day. No, that not that one. And then you come to verse 4. 27 verse 4. And it was told Saul that David fled to God, so he sought him. My plan works. My plan works. I faked my resume. I got the job. It works. Thank you, Lord. It works. Quick prayer also. Verse 5. And David said to Akish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there for. Why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And what does Akish do? He gives him a town called Ziklag. Wow, success has come. Not only do I have safety, now I have security. It doesn't stop with security. Verse 9. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, and the donkeys, and the camels, and the apparel. Wow. I'm prospering also. Did you see? You have safety. You have security. You have prosperity. Not only that, verse 12. So Akish believed David saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him and therefore he will be my servant forever. You even have favor with the king of the world. He trusts you. On the whole, everything looked good. 
only one problem he was way off course of god's purpose a life well lived without living out god's purpose is ultimately a life utterly wasted doesn't matter how well you live it if you haven't fulfilled god's purpose for which he caught hold of you your life will be ultimately considered a waste that's why first corinthians chapter 3 verse 13 says each one's work will become clear for that day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire imagine everyone god says okay okay come all my children it's not for the world this is what is children all my children come okay all of you come your works are following you you come okay everybody has to go through what was the pariksha sita had to do, do when she came back from sri lanka remember you have to go through the fire and because jesus went through the fire no problem with the salvation because the foundation stone is perfect we go through the fire yeah i come through but you look my works are getting burned up burned up holy ashes nothing left it's exactly what bible says you will come through all your works are burned up so you will see in first samuel chapter 30 how the devil deceived created a diversion and in chapter 30 verse 1 and 2 it happened when david and his men came to ziklag on the third day on the third day i shall be perfected on the third day is the day of judgment when fire will come through on the third day the amalekites had invaded the south and ziklag and burned it with fire 16 months of his hard work is gone in one day is fire gone it's gone and everybody who were there has been taken captive why because of one man's diversion from the course ordained by god one man's diversion so the temptation for david is also the same the temptation for jesus also is the same the temptation for us also is the same there is sorcery there is enchantment be serious there is there is there is and in the pros problem 16 months there is no purpose of god in his life it is like one big blank and then his story begins again big blank but we were not to have blanks in our life jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says before i formed you in the womb i knew you for very interesting word words before you were formed in your womb i knew you meaning before i was formed god knew us now he's not talking about the world he's not talking about his children because scripture says in the gospel according to john we were not born according to the will of a husband but we were born of god meaning even before we were born god knew us okay before you were born i sanctified you i set you apart before you were born i ordained you i gave you a purpose a prophetic purpose that's important we were not only formed we were also set apart we were not only set apart we were ordained for a very prophetic purpose in our time in our generation and that is god's purpose so god says there are many many diversions waiting for god's children to take away from that prophetic purpose and every purpose is big 
Because of the, it's the purpose of God. It is not about what you do and I do. My work is great. Your work is no. We are all working for the same God. And because He is a great God, whether the work looks small or big, it's a big, great work because it's connected with God who is working. Okay? But diversions are there. So First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Be careful. Now the Spirit expressly says that. Okay? Whenever you use this term, like terms like this, when Jesus says, verily, verily, I tell you. When scriptures use, if you look, go through scripture, you will very rarely see this expression connected with the Holy Spirit. Now we know what is an ordinary mail and express delivery. We know what is a passenger train and an express train. So we understand the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, deceiving or seducing spirits. So scripture says, be careful, those who are in faith, be careful. First notice this, faith. We will depart from what? From faith. We are saved by grace, but through faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. So you are saved by faith and when you are saved you have begun on a journey and as you go on he is perfecting you. You have to finish this journey of faith and on the way are seducing and deceiving spirits waiting with doctrines to pull you out of that road. We are there. Beware. The spirit expressly wants us. Scripture says people will depart. Seducing or deceiving spirit is a demon with a very specific assignment to get men and women and children of faith to depart from faith, from real, genuine faith. Remember, faith is powerful because it is something God has given us. It is through faith, everything is done in the kingdom of God. Therefore, the very target of seducing spirits is that faith. Faith has two things. One, it is the substance of things I hope for. It is also what I believe in. The set of doctrines I believe in is also called faith. That is a faith that can lead me to perfection. So devil is after both this faith. So we are warned through the Bible in Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. We are warned. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to you, to exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Fight earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. He says, you have to fight for this faith. It's a constant fight. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, walking in the doctrine of the apostles, because seducing spirits and deceiving spirits, working through men and women, are all around trying to pull you off that route, so that you miss your course and don't finish your purpose. Understand that. That's why we have to contend. That is why we cannot be doctrineless. Everybody needs truth. Like I said a couple of weeks, if I am right before, we cannot, no man can live without truth. 
it's impossible god created us that way whether you're a believer or a gentile it is impossible to live without truth so if we cannot live by god's truth we frame our truth when you are not able to obey god you know you should do this but you don't do this and then you cannot live with guilt so you said i did this because this one said this and that becomes our truth and we'll live with that it becomes our truth but that truth keeps you in bondage all your life while the truth which god gives you sets you free that's why he asked the man at the pool at bethsaida do you want to do you want to walk do you want to walk he says everybody gets that was his truth by which he lived for 38 years you know why i am not healed because nobody thinks about me nobody makes way for me nobody is concerned about me nobody talks to me without realizing everybody lying around the pool all are cripples sometimes people think that way nobody thinks about me nobody helps me without realizing everybody has problems there is nobody here who doesn't have problems but you may be isolated anything nobody thinks about me nobody loves me nobody cares for me nobody bothers about me and you have made that into your truth and you live by that truth when god could have set you free nobody can live without truth if you don't accept god's truth you will create your own truth but that truth can keep you in bondage okay and that's what demonic entities do when we are seduced we will end up believing in the doctrines of devils now this happens when demonic entities come in union with men and women it's called joint collaboration understand how it works okay we see this in genesis chapter 3 verse 1 the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the lord god had made and he said to the woman has god indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden he begins with eve okay he's, this is he tests here with eve eve emotion intellect all good for the belly emotions good to make me wise intellect comes together makes an act of will listens to the voice of the devil and in genesis 36 so when the woman saw the tree was good for food it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise everything is here emotion intellect is there the will plays in goes it she took of its fruit and eight she also gave it to her now she has partnered with the devil now to seduce her husband into it that's how the partnership begins understand earlier it was the devil to man now it's man and the devil together plotting to bring the next one into the web that's how it happens we see the its culmination reaching finally in genesis 6 to that generation by the time it began their partnership how does it end genesis 6 to it says the sons of god saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took the wise for themselves of all whom they chose the son of god called the devil saw the daughter of woman called eve seduced her and she seduced Adam now the sons of god saw the daughters of men and there is a human demonic partnership and the result of it genesis 
The next verse. 6-5, sorry, 6-5. 6-5. I'm sorry. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, That's how it reaches its peak. When there is a collaboration with the demonic and the human, every thought of our mind gets contaminated. Are we getting? That's what Jesus wants us in Matthew 24, 24 and 25. He says, false Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. Do what? What is the purpose behind wonders? What was the purpose behind the wonders and the signs of Jesus? Salvation. What is the wonders, purpose behind the wonders and the signs of the false prophet? Deception. Both use signs. One for salvation, which sets you more and more free. The other to deceive you and to take you into bondage. Both need sign. If possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. He says, be careful. I have told you beforehand. So there is a union here. There is a union here between demonic entities and humans. The doctrines of the devil is spoken through the mouths of men. And you know how Jude puts it in Jude 1.4? For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. What has they turned? They have turned the very grace of God. They will ultimately, by this union, change the very nature of grace. The purpose of grace is that I am saved from the penalty of sin and as I understand the power of grace, as I grow in grace, I am also delivered from the power of sin. Instead, they take grace and say, you are Free from the penalty of sin. Now it doesn't matter after this what you do. God understands. And they gather multitudes. Because there is power in that doctrine. And I don't care if their names are the big names in today's Christendom. And their churches have 30,000, 35. Listen to what they preach. They have turned the grace of our God into license. That's how seduction happens. Ultimately, they will change the very nature of God. They will deny the only Lord God and our Lord. How do they deny? If I say I am saved into the new covenant, but if I am not able to overcome sin in my life, though grace is available, I am actually denying the Lord Jesus Christ's work on the grace, on the cross. I don't believe in it. I'm denying. I'm not saying that you are struggling and you're praying and you're trying. I'm not talking about that. I, I'm not even attempting. Because I've been told there's no need. No need. You can do whatever you are accepted. You know, that's how we deny. Understand what scripture is talking about. The diversions the devil puts on the way. Ultimately, they will do this. And what have we done is we turn the entire gospel upside down. 
In Timothy 4.1, not the usage. One, expressly the spirit. Second, in latter times. Latter times. When you think about this latter times, don't think our times. This is the whole gospel period. Whole gospel period. Only the intensity will increase towards the end. Like what started with one woman and the devil to trap one man. By the time you come to Genesis 6, it's whole of mankind. In the same way, which when you talk about latter, I will explain, I will prove it to you. Or rather, clarify it through scripture. When the use, when you use the term latter times. 1 John 2.18 Little children, this is the last hour. So when is he talking about? His time. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour. They know latter times have begun. How do they know latter times have begun? Because deceivers have come. See, they understood well. We are looking at wards, we are looking at famines, we are looking at earthquakes. They didn't look at that. Because they were always wards. Before Christ came also there were wards. Before Christ also there was famine. There was famine always. There was pestilence always. There were wards from the time you see Genesis chapter 12. When wars, first time war is mentioned, before that also war was there. It is not mentioned in the Bible because the Bible relates to the history of Abraham and his people. So war was there always, earthquake was so pestilence, all was there. But that's not what they looked for. They looked for is this deception. That's how we know we are in the last days. And you see deception increasing. We know it is coming closer and closer and closer. Okay, how do you know this? When you want to see God's time clock, t- clock, don't look at the world. It's got nothing to do with it. Look at the church. Never look at the world. Okay, if they looked at Israel, we look at the church. We see the most powerful, this time, powerless time of the church in 2000 years of history. A church which justifies sin, walks in sin, walks in rebellion, walks in disobedience around the world where a church does stuff which Gentiles will be ashamed to call and ratify it through their pulpits. That's when we know deception has increased. Deception has increased. Stuff that would have never happened in the past 2000 years of human history within the church, I'm talking about the church, is happening today in the church, sanctioned by the church. That's when we know the Antichrist have come. Latter days, in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. So when Jesus came, the last days began. Okay, and Hebrews 1 and verse 2. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So expressly says in these latter days, what happens? As the work of salvation begins with the Holy Spirit, the work of deception also begins with seducing. And they keep on increasing, increasing, and both are increasing. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. So both is increasing and God says, my people, be careful. And remember, this is a battle. It's a fierce battle. Fierce, fierce battle. This battle is the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of seduction over this world. And this is a battle you and I will have to fight till our end. Last breath we fight this battle until we are able to say like Paul, I have fought 
this good fight and I have kept the faith. This is the battle. I have to fight this battle and at the end of the battle and through this battle I have to keep that faith. Because why? The battle is aimed at your faith. In latter days, what will these seducing spirits do? May people will depart from the faith. Jude says you have to contend for this faith and Paul says I have fought and I have kept. I have kept my faith. It doesn't mean going to church. It means keeping the faith. Okay? So understand. And there are physical examples. Like we understand that spiritually, physical examples are there in the Old Testament by which we understand how the spirit of Babylon works. In First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. 1 to 3. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that he arose and ran for his life. Went to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Go back to verse 1 and 2. Are you seeing it? Anybody, anybody in their normal mind once they hear from their own husband what happened on Mount Carmel, will say, I repent. What have you heard? Three and a half years of famine. Three and a half years of suffering for the people. All your demonic activities, all the powers you called them did not work. One man withstood all your powers on Mount Carmel. He destroyed them. He brought fire. He has brought rain. Lord, I... Surrender. No way. No way. Jezebel says, I'm going to handle you tomorrow. I'm going to handle you tomorrow. Understand, this spirit is not going to give up. The spirit of this world, the Babylon, spirit of Babylon, the spirit of seduction, the spirit of sorcery, this spirit is not going to give up. It's going to be a battle till the end. And they are not bothered by how many defeats they face. Because they know ultimately they are defeated anyway. So as we go down to hell, we want to take as many with us as possible. For us, that is our victory. And if we cannot take them to hell, as many as can be taken off course and lose their crowds, that is also victory. They don't see victory the way we see victory. Their victory is different. So Jehu was anointed for this particular purpose. What was he anointed? He was anointed to destroy that spirit of Babylon, seducing spirit that had got over Israel. He was anointed for that purpose. In Second Kings chapter 9, 6 to 8, scripture says, He arose, went into the house, he poured the oil on his head and said to him, this is one of the prophets whom Elisha sent. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord are the hands of Jezebel. Do you remember the portion about Babylon? She has drunk herself with the blood of the servants and the saints of God. He says, I will avenge the house of Ahab and Jezebel. Okay, and for the whole house of Ahab shall perish and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. He says, the destruction of this spirit over this land will be complete. Everybody allied with the spirit will be destroyed. 
Remember Babylon, Revelation 18, 2 and 3. He cried mightily with a loud, Babylon the great is fallen, fallen has become a dwelling place of what? Demons. Babylon is not a physical entity, it is people. And those people have become a dwelling place of demons. A prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated. But he's talking about various kinds of oppressing spirits. Babylon has become a dwelling place for them. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of Father. All the judgment of God is coming upon all of them. As God said, the judgment will come upon the entire house they have. Nobody will be spared. You see the correlation here. Sorcery, seduction through which the entire land was demonized. Here the entire world has been demonized. And to break this, we need the anointing over our minds. Elijah broke. He couldn't handle it. Elisha is anointed. Elisha will anoint the prophet. You know what he told the prophet? You go, call Jehu, anoint him, and as soon as you finish anointing and telling him what I told you, open the door and run for your life. Don't stay there. Otherwise you also will be killed. Okay. God doesn't make mistakes. He says, understand, because it's not the powers of darkness, it is what they will do through people to you. Be careful, be wise, be wise, how you handle this. This spirit that is over will never give up, it will never repent. In Genesis, Revelation 18 and verse 7, listen to what Babylon says. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow and will see, not see sorrow. I am not a widow. I sit as a queen and I will see no sorrow. You want to see the parallel from where we looked? Ahab is dead. So is Jezebel a widow? Yes. Joram, her son, is the king of Israel. Ahaziah, the king of Judah, has allied with him. Both are killed by Jehu. So husband is dead, son is dead. You would think Jezebel would repent. Right? Second Kings chapter 9, verse 30 to 33. When Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. I am not a widow. I know no sorrow. You are the next guy. I will seduce you. There are two things they do. Either they seduce or they the, the, the world. It will try to seduce and if you don't give in to seduction, they will threaten, intimidate. As Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimbri? Murder of your master? On her face is seduction. In her words is intimidation. What have you come here for? Peace? You murderer. But seduction and intimidation. That's what the world... See, our God uses consider the severity, kindness, and the severity of God. That's our God. Not the spirit of Babylon. Spirit of Babylon uses seduction and intimidation. If you don't give in to my seductions, you better be sure. I will get you. Okay, so you will see. Is it peace, Zimri, murder of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? He says, two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. 
The spirit has to be destroyed. This spirit has to be kept under your feet. It cannot be allowed anywhere else. It will always seek high places and will try to seduce you or intimidate you, but it has to be brought down and pulled down and kept under our feet. And who could do it? Only the eunuchs could do it. Who could throw the ones? That's what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. There are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. They have no attachments. They have no attachments. Only they can destroy this spirit. If you are in some way in your flesh attached to anything in the flesh or the world, you cannot destroy this spirit because this spirit will come through. That in your flesh could be a husband, a wife, a child, or a friend, or something. You cannot destroy this spirit because the spirit knows every weak area in your and my life. He knows where we are weak in the flesh. It will come through that. This spirit tried to seduce even Jesus. I know you love your father. I know your father loves you. You've never been separated in all of eternity. Do you want to be separated tomorrow? Do you want to be? Do you want to be father? No. Understand. Otherwise, you cannot win. That's what he says. And understand what Paul means about that in the terms of the time we are living in. That's the next one. First Corinthians 7. I say this, brother, and the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. Total detachment. Total detachment. It's not a killing of desire as Gautama Buddha was trying. It is not talking about that. It doesn't work. This is for a king and a kingdom. Putting it first. Because the entire purpose, you see, when you talk about the truth being exclusive, it's, it's just a diversion, okay? Not from the core message, but a diversion. When you talk about, there's, there is exclusivity that comes in every religion. If you look at Hinduism, uh, Rig Veda is the original, where it is monotheistic. By the time you come to Gita, Mahabharata, you have polytheism. From that, Gautama Buddha breaks up and he comes out, and out of Buddha comes Jainism. This is a whole parallel. So truth, every religion is different. It's not the same. And when Gautama Buddha says about killing desire, and that is how moksha come. Now, let me ask you this question. Who is the epitome of Buddhism known in the world? No, no, here, here, living, currently living in this world, epitome of Buddhism. What is his desire? That Tibet should be a free land. So has he overcome desire? No. You have failed your own religion. You failed your own religion. Because a true Buddhist has no desire. That's not Christianity. A desire for the king and his kingdom and his glory overcomes all desire. It's not an annihilation of desire. It is overcoming other desires because you have made yourself eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. So he brings in relationships, he brings in possessions, and he says, brethren, relationship closest. Sorrow, grief, 
possessions be neutral. These things don't matter. We are putting him at the top. Absolutely at the top. He says that's how you overcome this. Understand, even when you are going through this fasting and this process and seeking, be very clear, what am I seeking for? What am I seeking for? I cannot seek using spiritual weapons, something which is outside of God or which is not sanctioned by God. Like I said, Moses to receive the law from God, 40 days fasting. and 40 days. Okay. So be very clear about these things. Don't take this deduction of the flesh very lightly. Very, very lightly. It is how the devil uses. Jezebel, that spirit, is there strong, the seducing spirit. It's only the forerunner. Once you open to that spirit, the other spirit takes over. The spirit of control, intimidation takes over. You cannot be gentle in this battle. One has to be spiritually violent. That is what fasting and prayer is. The problem is, we don't see, understand scripture in that light. Let me ask you this question. Okay, I'll put scripture. First Corinthians 13.1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Who wrote this? Who wrote this? Apostle Paul. So you can be very sure God has sanctioned what he is speaking. The Holy Spirit has given him this. So he's the most loving man. Right? Incredibly loving man. Now look at Acts chapter 13 verses 9 to 11. Saul is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Holy Spirit, who spoke through Paul and wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay, on love. And said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Who is this? If you look at verse 8, if I'm right, verse 8. Can you say, Lord, it's the same guy? Elimas the sorcerer. Who strangled his soul, aligned his soul with powers of darkness. And he is influencing the power in authority. Why did God say, pray for all our leaders who are in authority? Because they are all oppressed or caught in the bondage of sorcery. And in this battle, there is no, oh, how can I pray this prayer? God told us to love. No, get your scripture right. There are people all over the world who are in aligned with powers of darkness, binding all these leaders, or the leaders are also in cahoots with them. And you need to pray and say, let them walk in darkness. So that the people will see light. Until they come to their senses. Let them walk in darkness. We are not being mean. We are actually focusing on their real salvation. But the fact is, this is a deadly battle. The deadly battle. No, it is not taking the Anglican book of prayer and saying we pray for our president and vice president and prime minister and this can nothing happens. You need to fight this battle. You have to fight this battle because they have been seduced by the power of sorcery. 
You need to understand how to fight the way like the apostles fought. Even in your workplaces, your bosses everywhere, everywhere. We don't fight flesh and blood, but some of the flesh and blood who have aligned with them, we need to understand they are in cahoots. In cahoots. And sometimes the words and the prayers we pray has consequences on the physical realm. And Elimas went from there blind because Paul said so. And the proconsul now believed in Paul because the sorcerer was bound. Not just the spirit behind the sorcerer, but the sorcerer also was bound with darkness. So understand the spirit of seduction, the sorcery, the whole point is to deviate us from the way of God. Because otherwise what will happen if you continue in that path Paul wants in First Timothy 4 verse 1 and 2 expressly says people will go heed to deceiving spirits, the doctrines of devils, then they will start speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared. That's the dangerous. You know what searing is? When you are ironing or something, you get burned and the skin dies. And then you have no, it doesn't feel. That's what happens to your conscience. Your conscience is seared. It doesn't, sin does not prick you anymore. Doesn't prick you anymore. When you read the word of God and the word of God is very clear, it's black and white, absolutely clear and you are breaking it daily, but it doesn't prick you anymore. Doesn't prick you anymore. Why? Your conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Because you gave in to a seducing spirit. The way it is retrack and look at and look at the scripture and say, what are my arguments for not obeying the scripture? And I will tell you, not nine out of ten times, ten out of ten times your arguments are either emotional or intellectual and not scriptural. For disobeying. Obeying the argument is always scripture. It is written. That's all. You don't need anything else. To obey whatever our circumstance is, there is only one argument. What is it? It is written. Heaven and earth will pass away. The world is passing. The desires of the world is passing. He who does the will of God will live forever. That's simple. Who is the one who does the will of God? Who obeys? Scripture. Whenever you look at scripture, that's how people divide. Oh, that's Old Testament. It doesn't bother me. I am in the New Testament. When you look at the New Testament, the Gospels don't bother me because I'm after the Gospels. Uh, Book of Acts doesn't because I'm after the Apostles. Then finally you have only the book of Revelation left. That you are afraid to read. I'm talking about real conversations of Christians. When they don't obey. No, Gospels don't bother to us because we are past the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel he spoke to the Jews is not to us. Understand? Look at arguments. That is how it, that is how it happens. I don't think we have time. Okay? We shall continue next to next week. Okay. Before we stop, I will just read scripture and we shall look at it next time we get chance. Deuteronomy 18 verses 9 to 14. The Lord spoke to Paul. No. Deuteronomy, he did not speak to Paul. He spoke to Moses. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, when you come to the life 
his son is giving us. Read it New Testament way. When we come into the life, I have come to give you life, not land. Though we prefer land to life, he came to give us life. <laughs> okay. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. They shall not be found among you. Anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. Some entrance exams are like fire. Okay. Or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord, your God, drives them before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord, your God. Israel was asked to be blameless in one area. Nothing to do with the devil and his demonics and those who are aligned with him. Stay away. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to the soothsayer and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So they have changed tact. They come as deceiving spirits and doctrines of the devils in the new covenant. But the rule is still the same. The rule is still the same. So understand what we are fighting Understand what scripture is, what true liberty is, true freedom is. True freedom is to serve God and God alone. Don't get fooled by this world. Don't get fooled. If you are under the power of sorcery, genuinely you should be able to know if you are under the power of sorcery because you realize, why am I not able to obey though I know it is true? I know it is true. I know it's right. I know pastor said it last week, the week before. I know it's true. I know it's right. I hear it and I agree with my mind. But when I go out, I go straight to the theater and stand in the line to watch what? Masters of the Universe, which is part of the FM network, which is one of their movies, which basically says everybody when they die will evolve and become masters. And Jesus is only one of the masters. What am I doing watching that? Sorcery. Because deep inside you is a desire. I want to become a master like them by dabbling in power. So everybody reads Harry Potter. Christians first. Hindus and all only after that. Witchcraft. Sorcery is made the norm. Have you seen some of the programs on Britain has got talent, America has got talent. That's witchcraft and sorcery. Even little children coming and doing magic and making things. And what do you want to be called? You can call me a witch. Six-year-old, seven-year-old child saying, making things disappear in front of cameras. It become acceptable. And we want that fame. We want that reputation. We want that glory. That's what was offered to Jesus by the devil. We don't understand what we are dabbling in. And we want to come to church and go to heaven when we die too. God says, no, you cannot drink from both cups. You cannot. One cup. Babylon has a cup. Jesus also ordained a cup. Choose which cup you will drink from. Choose. Choose which cup you will drink from. This is the truth. It's the truth. I cannot make it anything else. Because if I try to change it, I would be lying to you. It's not going to get easier. It's only going to get tougher. 
only going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. Because scripture proves it. In the last days, even more wicked angels are going to be released who have been tied up for millennium. Thousands of years, demons which have been tied up are going to be released, scripture says. That's why you see the tumult going in the Middle East. They have been, been tied up under Euphrates. They are going to be released. That's where you see all the battles going on. Nothing is happening. We are going to be released. And then how are we going to fight when we are not able to fight now? How are we going to fight then? So take this battle seriously because this is, will decide our destiny, eternal destiny. It's going to decide. Everything is pinned on this. How do you finish your course? These demons are waiting. Seducing spirits, spirits of intimidation, waiting on the way. God says, walk by faith. Walk by faith. I read, I see, I obey. That's all, Lord. I don't understand, but I have chosen in my will, not my will, but your will be done. And this is the will of God. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. I pray, Father, as we continue through our prayer and our fasting, as we read your word, hear your word, you will give us understanding. Give us understanding, Lord. Along with that understanding, give us strength. Understanding without strength is frightening, Lord. But you promised us strength. You promised us power. You said when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall have power. I pray with understanding and revelation of the Holy Spirit, I pray you give us power to obey. To walk away. To walk away from copying this world. Desiring anything in this world. Because you said you promised us all that we need, you would add to us. Help us to be content in you. In you and what you give us. To seek you, your kingdom, your righteousness. All the days of our life. Continue to grow in your kingdom. Continue to grow in your righteousness. You brought us safely into your house. We believe, Lord, you will reach us also safely. Continue to speak to us, Lord, through the night watches, day. Help us to retreat, to be alone with you, and seek your face, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.